I, I was bothered by these, uh, there are a lot of theological arguments mm-hmm. on the beginning of this week's parasha. So I, I'm going to go through the beginning, a little different than we normally do, especially it's just us. And then I want to go back and talk to some, talk about, bring up some of the arguments and then see what I found from the Zohar to answer those arguments, which is different than the arguments. So in this week's parasha, we're in the middle of the story of Abraham. So we have So we see this God appears to Abraham in this place called Elone Mamre. And Abraham is sitting at the front of his tent, and it was the heat of the day. What's interesting here is we have no communication from God to Abraham. All we have is some appearance of God to Abraham, whatever that means. That's the first problem that we have because some of the rabbis, Rambam and Rashbam, both say that God appears to you only if he's going to tell you something. While here it seems that God is coming to visit, and Rashi basically says God is coming to visit the sick. Abraham circumcised himself three days before, so God is coming to visit him while he's recovering from his circumcision. They also say that God wanted to make sure that Abraham had time to recover. So what did he do? He took the sun out and he made it very hot so there were no travelers coming through the desert. So no one would bother him and he would be able to relax and recover. But Abraham was depressed. So God decided to send him visitors. The next verse says, so the question is if the first verse is telling you God spoke to him or if the first verse is just introducing this whole chapter. So Abraham lifts up his eyes. There are three people standing in front of him. So he sees three people coming at him. He didn't notice them. And all of a sudden, out of the blue, he sees three people. He sees them. He runs to greet them. From the, from the, uh, the opening of the tent. And he bows to them. So he sees three people who appear to be Arab nomads walking in the desert. He runs to them, he bows to them. Now the question is, the next verse, who is he talking to? It says, Vayomar, and he said, Adonai. Now what is Adonai? Is it God? Or is it the leading, the leader of these three? My master, it means. If I have found favor in your eyes, don't leave from in front of your servant. So now, the one opinion is, he's talking to God and saying, God, I have people to go serve. So while I'm going to go serve those people, do me a favor and stay with me. Don't leave me. Or, he's talking to the three of them and he's saying to them, my master, the leader of them, please let me help you. And again, big argument of who he's talking to. Now he's definitely talking to these men. Yukachna me'at mayim. No, the Adonai that's being used here is... Either y- it's... Yud No, Aleph Dalet Nun Yud. Okay. No, no, for sure. Then if it would, if it would say Yud Kei then we know. Right, okay. But here we have it as my master. Okay. The next verse, he's definitely talking to these three people. Yukachna me'at mayim, take a little water, wash your feet, and hang out under the tree. And I'm going to get a little bread for you, and I'm going to satisfy, and you're going to satisfy yourselves. And after that, you can go on your on your journey. Um, but 
but since you passed by my house, I'm just started from the beginning of, the, of this week's portion. So he says, since you, you so we're, we're saying that there's a, this, there's a theological problem with the beginning of this portion of Vayirah. The opening verse seems God comes to talk to Abraham, but there's no, there's no conversation. So Rashi says God came to visit the sick. Other Mephashim give a whole different answer, and we're going to see what the other. But no conversation with God, all of a sudden three, three Arab nomads come his way. And then again he says, please don't pass. Is he talking to God or is he talking to them? And then he starts to tell them what he's going to do for them. And then he hurries to the tent, he tells his wife to bake bread for them. And then he runs to the, to the barn and he grabs a, a calf and he tells his son Yishmael to prepare the calf. And then he takes butter and, uh, and milk and he serves them and then he goes to get the meat afterwards and he serves them. And he stands in, in, on top of them while they're sitting under the tree. It's so hot so the tree is giving them shade and they're eating. Now, if they're angels, how are they eating? Or they're just putting the food in and burning the food. But also, the Rambam gives different classes of angels. Maybe right. some, some angels could eat me. No, so according, so, so, so we have, let, let me just go through here and then we'll come back. These, these guys, these three nomads, angels, vision, whoever they are, they ask him a question, where is Sarah your wife? How do they know his wife's name is Sarah? And he says that she's in the tent. So then he says, meaning one of these people say, I'm going to return here next year. Is that him or God? And Sarah is going to have Sarah, your wife, is going to have a child. She hasn't had a child. They're married 75, 80 years. Whatever, 70, 75 years. She has no children. And he says she's going to have a child next year this time. So if you hear, if you're Sarah, and you hear three Arab nomads giving you a blessing, you're going to have a child next year. Okay, very nice of them. But, you know, what does she take it seriously? So it says Sarah heard what he was saying, what they're saying. She's standing inside the doorway of her tent. And she said, her and her husband are old. And she's already past menopause. How is it possible for her to have children? So she laughs inside. And she says, after I'm old and my husband's old, we're still going to have children? All of a sudden, Vayomer Hashem. Now it says, Yudke Vavke. God now talks to Abraham. But where is Abraham that God's talking to him? He's serving these three guys. So these three guys told Abraham, you're going to have a baby. Sarah hears them and laughs. They don't hear, inside, it says, Bekirba. No one could hear Sarah. Abraham doesn't hear Sarah. And God then comes to Abraham when? When he's standing there and gives him prophecy. Or did one of these angels turn to Abraham and speak in God's voice? And said, why did Sarah laugh? Uh, and say that, that she's old. Is anything impossible for God to do? Next year I'll be back and Sarah's going to have a child. And now Sarah, I don't know how she hears because she's not there. She denies laughing and she says she was frightened. That's why she laughed. So now the men get up. And they, they look towards Sedom and Abraham is accompanying them to send them off. And all of a sudden again we hear God and God says, Amar, 
I'm going to cover from Abraham that which I'm going to do. Abraham is going to be a great nation. Basically, God is saying, Abraham is my partner in this world. How can I do something and not tell him? And, he, and then, then he says to him, Hashem, And God says, I heard the cry of Sodom, that they sinned greatly, and I'm coming down to look at Sodom and see if I'm going to destroy it. And then they have a whole conversation. If there are 50 people there, 40 people, 30 people, basically there are five cities or five towns, right? The five towns. There are five cities. And he says, if there's 10 people in each city, shouldn't that protect the city? And if there aren't, if there's 40 people, means that should protect four. If there's 30, should protect 30. If there's 20, it should protect two. If there's 10, it should protect one. It turns out there's none. Not enough to protect anyone, but the angels are going to go check it out. So two angels go to Sodom, and one angel stays, stays with Abraham, but he disappears. And that's the end, and then it says God left. Now the problem is, what's going on here? Rambam, Maimonides, writes in, in Morin Nebuchim. Now we have to think about Morin Nebuchim, who he's writing to, who his audience was, and what the purpose was. Because Rambam writes in his Halakha books all about angels. He names the ten levels of angels. He goes through all of these things of prophecy. But Rambam really feels that a person cannot see an angel for whatever reason. So he says all of this is simply a vision. The opening verse is that God is coming to Abraham. How is he coming to him? With this vision. What's the vision? Three angels coming, all this whole story. The pro- so so that, that's basically what he's saying. He's saying that, that angels can't be seen. And if God is coming to you, there's always a message. There's never just a feeling that God is there. So the message is this vision. And this whole story is just a vision. <coughs> Ramban, Nachmanides. This is probably the, the... I never saw him get so upset in any of his writings. He goes so far to say that this is heresy. That Maimonides is speaking heresy. You can't read what he writes. He can't discuss what he writes. He can't anything. It's complete heresy. How could he say that an angel can't be seen? We have all of history, he says, so many times through, through the Bible, angels. Are you going to tell me every single time it's a vision? And he goes so far to say that means was Sodom not destroyed? Was all that just Abraham's vision? Did he just imagine? Then what happened to Sodom? And if that wasn't true, Abraham never wrestled the angel. How did his leg get hurt? Did he just dream it and he woke up with a, with a, with a dislocated thigh? Because Yaakov, he, just, he woke up with a dislocated thigh. And he goes so far, he says, and you're going to tell me, what about Mount Sinai? Did that not happen either? Was that just Moses having a dream? And he goes on and on. And then he says, complete heresy. Rashbam. Who's the grand? So Rashi is the way we learned it in school. Is Rashi? Rashi says no. It was angels, and for sure it was angels. And this whole he brings all reasons why everything is happening, and that's basically how we learned it. That that God is comes to cure him, and that's what we learned about the commandment of of uh, of coming to visit the sick, and then God wants to allow him to do something, so he sends the angels. And these are really angels, and all of the story happens, and God comes to him in the middle of the conversation while the angels are still there, 
at some point, maybe Abraham realizes they're angels and they go to Lot, and Lot really realizes they're angels more than Abraham. And the whole story is exactly as you read it. Rashbam, who's the grandson of Rashi, takes a middle approach. He says that the opening verse that God appeared to Abraham is just an opening verse of the whole story. He says all of the dialogue between God and Abraham is taking place through one of these angels. These angels are the whole story. It's all taking place on earth. There's nothing in heaven. God sent these angels to have the dialogue with Abraham. There's no two sets. The problem with Rashi is there's two sets of dialogues going on. One God and, the, and, the, and Abraham, one Abraham and angels. One, we have one line, the angels say that his wife's going to get pregnant, and then a minute later, God asks why his wife is laughing. So Rashbam says, no, it's really the angel saying, why is your wife laughing? The angel is really speaking in God's voice, so to say, on behalf of God. And often we have angels come as messengers from, from God. So those are the different, the different, uh, the problem is every one of them, there are holes in it. If you go Rambam, Maimonides has the most holes. If you go Ramban, he just says, you got to believe and that's it. If you go Rashi, why is the dialogue changing back and forth? It makes no sense that the dialogue changes. And if you go with, uh, with Rashbam, He's, he's, he's also, he's eliminating God in this whole thing. And he's saying it all has to do with the angels and it becomes more difficult. So now I, so I, I said, you know what, let me try to see what is the answer that the Zohar is going to give. Does the Zohar discuss this and what answer does the Zohar give? So I found something, for me it was remarkable because the proof is, is in so many ways. We look at Abraham... The proof comes in, in what the Zohar is saying. But it's a little wild. So we're going to have a little wild ride and see if we could, uh, we could handle it. So he says, the, 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 so we, we have what we mentioned already, Rashi. And Rashi basically says, who are, who are these messengers? Who are these angels? He gives names to the angels. He says, there are three angels that came. Michael was sent, Michael was sent, to tell Sarah that she's pregnant. That's his job. Raphael was sent to cure Abraham. And Gabriel was sent to destroy Sidon. Each of them has a job. And Rashi goes and he continues, he says, remember, one balach, one angel, does not perform two jobs at the same time. So if he's coming, he could only do one job, then he could do the next job, but he could only do one job at a time. Now these are the archangels. These are the highest level of angels, are these, these. There's, there's others, but these are the high level. There's others who are with them. But for whatever there reason... others who are with them? Yes, Uriel Was there, is so the same were... level, but he's not there. Okay. Okay. So, the question is, why did God send three angels to Abraham? That's the, that's the question the Zohar is asking. It says, the purpose of the three angels needs an explanation. He says, if each was assigned a specific mission, really none of them are necessary. Why didn't God just talk to Abraham? What did you need to send specific angels for any of this? He goes first with Michael. 
He says, if Michael was meant to come tell Sarah that she's pregnant or she's going to get pregnant and she's going to have a baby in a year, we already read the end of last week's portion that God told Abraham, your wife is going to have a baby. We're going to name him Isaac. That, that's the end of last week's portion. Your wife's going to have a baby. You're going to name him Isaac. He's going to be born next year at this time. So God already told Abraham you're going to have a baby. What do we need an angel to come tell her she's going to have a baby? And separate of that, even if God didn't tell Abraham he was going to have a baby, when Rivka, Rebecca couldn't get pregnant, did an angel come tell her she's going to have a baby? No, she got pregnant and had a baby. She knew she was pregnant, so she knew she was going to have a baby. What do you need an angel to come say you're going to get pregnant for? There's no reason, no purpose. He says that's the first problem. The second problem is, what do you need Raphael to come to heal Abraham? God already came to visit him. If God is coming to make a, a, a visit of the sick to come, uh, to come, to come you know, visit, visit him, then God, God is going to heal him. Not only that, the problem is the Zohar tells us that although healing is entrusted to messengers, I translated everything, illness is cured by messengers may recur. Illness is treated by Hashem, however, never recur. HaKadosh Baruch his remedies are pure and untainted. The duality explains the seemingly superfluous language. When we pray, when someone prays to be healed, he says, Refaini Hashem, the Heal us, God, that we may be healed. What do you mean? If I say, God, heal me, why, did, why do I have to say, heal me, God, that I should be healed? And the rabbis answer, the Zohar says, the reason you're saying it, because if God heals you, you'll be healed forever. If an agent heals you, you could be healed, but it could come back. So we want God to heal us. So in that case... There's no reason to send Raphael to heal Abraham. That's two of the angels who don't need to be there. The most difficult one to understand is Gabriel. Because if Gabriel is coming to destroy Sodom, what does he have to stop at Abraham's house for lunch for? Does he need lunch in order to go down to Sodom to do his job? It makes no sense for him to have come, come and visited. That's but, but he was invited though. He was invited. They, they were all invited. They didn't have to stop by Abraham. Uh, he came out to get them. Right. But, but why was he even in the vicinity? You could have sent Gabriel directly to Sodom and do your job. Okay. Why, do we need Abra- why do we need him to come to Abraham? So. They could have that conversation. Which conversation? 40, no, he has that conversation with God. Gabriel is already gone. So it says the angels left. And God doesn't want to hide what he's going to do. Unless you're looking at Rashbam. Rashbam said two of the angels left. And one angel stayed behind. And that was the angel having the conversation with Abraham about the 50, 40, 30, 20, etc. If you do it by Maimonides, he says he's still in his trance having the conversation with the third angel. While the other two in his dream went to Sodom. And for whatever reason, when he wakes up the next day, Sodom is destroyed. But we don't know how it happened. So... We go back to the explanation. Now, so he says, the interesting thing is the Midrash comes and answers, why was it necessary for the angels to come to the house of, of Abraham? 
And Rashi brings right away. He says the angels had to come to the house of Abraham because the angels had to be guests of Abraham. Why? He says that when B'nai Israel, when Moses would go up to heaven to get the Torah, the angels would fight him and say, we're going to kill him. We don't want man to take the Torah from us. We want the Torah to stay in heaven. So God, the Midrash says, what did God do? He changed Moses' face. So it looked like Abraham's face, his great-great-great-grandfather. So Moses looks like Abraham, and he tells the angels, you're not going to be nice to the guy whose house you ate in? Of course you should give him the Torah. And they, oh, now they're going to give him the Torah. Now that, also, that, in, in that culture, eating at someone's house is a big deal. You know, it's a bond that... But even that answer, we're going to get to, because even the rabbis say, that's crazy. <laughs> we're going to give away the Torah because he gave me some butter and milk? Come and on. ribs. And, and, and no, tongue. 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 <laughs> tongue. tongue. They only ate the tongue. That was oh, what he told us. So he says, now, so, so, so the rabbis suggest that maybe it's not so far-fetched that God created this whole thing and sent the angels down only for one reason. So that when Moses shows up later on, Moses is going to have Abraham's face and they're not going to be able to deny the Torah to the children of Israel. He says, so it's not to tip off the angels that, they're going to, that basically they're walking into a trap. He sends each of the angels down with a job. He sends Michael with his job to inform about she's going to get pregnant. He sends Raphael to heal. And he says, Gabriel to destroy Sodom. But they all have to come to Abraham's house. So when they later on, he shows up, these are the top angels. You can't go higher than them. Well, okay. Now, the, question, the next question is, why is it specifically now that he has to send the angels? Why now? What happens in, in history now that now he sends the angels? So again, the Midrash comes to teach us that once Abraham is circumcised, and now this is the third day after his circumcision, now the angels could come because a person can't learn Torah until he's circumcised. So what does that mean? So the, the Midrash is quoting Unculus. Unculus is the commentary on the... Oh, it's not in here. Unculus is the commentary on the Torah. Unculus was a Roman. He was the nephew of Hadrian, the emperor. And he wanted to convert. It was probably in vogue then, because almost 10% of the Roman Empire chose to convert on some level. And that's why you had Christianity become so popular, because they were fed up with their pagan Roman religion. <coughs> so Hadrian, so, so Unculus comes to Hadrian, and he says, I want to convert and become a Jew. Hadrian, who killed the Jews, he was the one who destroyed the top of the mount, and he did all these terrible things. He's the one with, uh, with Bar Kokhva and the revolt. Hadrian says, they're hated, terrible people. What do you want to have anything to do with them? So Unculus says, but they're brilliant. Even the youngest among them is so smart. I want to learn their wisdom. So his uncle says, you want to learn their wisdom? I'll bring you a tutor. You could open the book. I'll get you ten copies. You could sit with the tutor, and he'll teach you. What do you need to convert? What do you need to circumcise yourself for? And Unculus replies, 
that only in the merit of the Brit Milah can one attain the Torah. It says that. Excuse me. <coughs> Sorry. He's referring to Torah Shabbat Peh. He says that, that what's Torah Shabbat Peh? The oral Torah. So you have the written Torah, which is, the, which, is the, which is there and published, so to say. And you have the oral Torah, which is given generation to generation. He says the only way for a person to understand the oral Torah is if he's circumcised. If he's not circumcised, there's a block. And, and once Abraham is circumcised, that goes for all the people from him forward. And he removes that block from the world. So why is Abraham the first of the forefathers? Because he's the first to be circumcised and he removes that block from the world that prevents the knowledge of the Torah from coming to the world. So he says, so one might question the source of proof seeing that the Gemara, it, he, he, uh, he, says, sorry, he says, one might, might sorry, reference it, not based on the business. Ah, so he says that the, the Gemara goes further and says, that this mitzvah of Brit Milah is equal to all the mitzvot in the Torah. It's one of those commandments that's equal to everything. He says, what, what does that mean? He says that really the learning of the Torah is equal to everything, but a person can't learn the Torah unless they're circumcised, and the Torah means Torah Shabbat Peh. Torah Shabbat Peh is any oral Torah, other than just reading the words, and, and that's it. Any translation is even oral Torah. Because the oral Torah, anytime you're translating, you're giving a, uh, an explanation of it. So now, so the, the reason why the angels only come to Abraham now is because now he has his circumcision. So once Hashem established the covenant of Brit Milah with B'nai Israel, he says, but then B'nai Israel is going to be able to attain to Rashabal Peh, because the Pasuk states that for the sake of the oral teachings, we're commanded to enter into a covenant by means of the mitzvah of milah. He goes further and he says, the Zohar brings, that the word milah, which is the circumcision, is the same, as, same gematria as the word peh, which is mouth. So the milah affects the Torah Shabbat peh. It says that one is equal to the other. So without that, you can't have the Torah. So, so therefore, he says, the reason the angels only come to visit Abraham at this point is because now Abraham is at the level that he can learn the oral Torah, so the angels can come. The problem is, what does that have to do? What does one have to do with the other? What is, what is the fact that he has a brief milah and he could learn Torah have to do with the angels now coming to visit? How do we understand that? So it's really, it was very hard to try to figure this out. It was very hard to figure this out. He says, also, we have to understand the significance of Hashem's statement to the angels arguing against giving the Torah to B'nai Israel. When Hashem says to them, aren't you embarrassed because you ate at his house? What does that really mean that the angels should be willing to give the Torah? So we, we're still not left with these questions. Why now, just because Brit Milah is equal to, is, you need Brit Milah to learn the oral Torah, the oral Torah is everything, and why, why now the angels are going to tell the angels, okay, now because he ate in his house, you have to give up the Torah. So he says, we have to go further and we could see, there's a, there's a, he, we bring another Midrash that's shown in the Gemara, it's shown in the Midrash, it's shown in a number of places. And again, we're going to end up with another question, so warning you up front. It says that when B'nai Israel acquired the Torah, 
it was only as it was it was as if they acquired Hashem along with the Torah. That's what the, the Midrash tells us. With the Torah, we got God. What does that mean? It brings a story. It says there's a king, and he has a daughter, and he loves his daughter very much. And his daughter is going to marry a king from a faraway land. And he knows he has to give up his daughter to marry this king. So he says, but I don't want my daughter to leave me. I want my daughter to be part of me. So what does he do? He says, when you get married and you move to the other country, wherever you live, you have to do me a favor. You have to build me a room in your palace that I can stay in. So I have a place always to be with you, to be in your palace, that there's a place for me. And, and, and basically saying, what does that mean? That means Hashem saying, you're going to build me a mikdash, v'asuli mikdash, v'shachanti betocham. So once we receive the Torah, the next step is we build the mishkan. And the mishkan is a place for God to dwell among us. Why? Because we took the Torah from heaven, we brought the Torah to earth, and God doesn't want the Torah to be without him. Good? Okay. Now, that whole story works if you're a king of flesh and blood. You need the room. You know, I tell my daughter, you want to live in Israel? Okay, you got a nice four-bedroom apartment. It's perfect. Then I have my own bathroom, my own bedroom, and that's perfect. But if you want to live there, you don't want to do then No living there. So, the, the, the problem is, it doesn't work for... Uh, it doesn't work for God. God could be anywhere. God is everywhere. So what are you saying? That God is limited to where he's going to be? So the interesting thing is the Gemara tells us that there's something happens when a person learns Torah. When a person learns Torah, the Shekhinah, the Spirit of God, is resting on his head. The Shekhinah is resting on a person who's learning Torah. He says that the meaning is this. When a person is learning Torah... The Torah is here and God is with that person. Even if, a, if, a, if you have 10 people together, God is with them. If you have a single person alone, that person's not alone. Once a person opens the book and wants to learn, God is coming to be with that person. So what's happening is the Torah is brought to earth. Anywhere the Torah is being learned, God comes to rest his Shekhinah, to rest his presence there. Now, the, so let's go further. The mitzvah of milah is so important because through the mitzvah of milah, we merit that we're able to receive the shekhinah. Only when a person has the brit milah, it says, why does God now approach Abraham? Because now he has his brit milah. Once a person has his brit milah, he's taken the, the blockage away. Basically, there's a pipe from heaven. The pipe is blocked. Once Abraham has the milah, he changes it for everyone. And there's an opening now. But it says that once, so now we have Abraham has the Brit Milah. God's presence is coming on Abraham. And also we're going to have this whole idea of having the Torah. Okay? Okay. We continue. So therefore, why is it necessary for the angels to come? And this was something that was wild. He says that we say very often that God is on his throne in the center. We, we say it even before we go to sleep at night. It says, God is on the throne in the center. To the right is Michael, Michael. To the left is Gabriel, Gabriel. Behind me is Raphael. And in front of me is Uriel. This is the fourth angel. And above me is the Shekhinah. So God is always surrounded by his entourage of angels. 
Anywhere God's going to go, there's this entourage of angels. Now, if you look at these angels, we have Gabriel, Michael, Raphael, and Uriel. What does it spell if you take the first letter of each name? Gimel, Mem, Resh, Aleph. Gimel, Mem, Gemara. Gemara. What's Gemara? The oral, the oral Torah. So these angels will only come when there's a Brit Milah, and they represent the oral Torah, which a person can only get after they have the Brit Milah, which is also why the Shekhinah is dwelling in the middle of them. Okay? So in some way, sending these angels to Abraham after he has his Brit Milah and relating it to when Moses is going to come try to bring the Torah from heaven is connected. Let's see how it's connected. Going further. Huh? Unculus lives before the Gemara. But it means the oral Torah. Yeah. He lives really in the time of... No, the Mishnah is already, is already starting. Yeah. Yeah, until five, exactly. He says, so elsewhere, Rabbeinu Chaim writes in a sefer called Igeret HaTiyul, that this acronym indicates that anyone who studies Gemara, now remember, we said anyone who studies Gemara, anyone who studies oral Torah, forget the name Gemara, we're using Gemara because that's their name. Maybe that's why it's called the Gemara. So he says, anyone who studies Torah, the divine presence is resting on him. But not only is the divine presence resting on him, He's surrounded by these four angels. Michael, Gabriel, Raphael, Uriel. Now I had some crazy spirit lady. I walked into some place once and this lady was like a witch doctor and I said, no, no, leave me alone. I don't want you to say anything. She goes, but you're surrounded by angels. I never saw anything like it. I said, where are they? She goes, there's one in front of you, one behind you, one to the right, one to the left. She said, no one could come near you. They all have swords. I said, okay, good. I got out of there very quickly. Cuckoo lady. But she was like wicked. She was like, whoa. whoa." But the fact is, anyone who's learning, that's the story. They're surrounded by these angels. Okay? Now, it goes further. He says that a person has to know Hashem's heavenly throne is always in the center, always surrounded by these. We also give them names of animals. The lion, the ox. Because who is... Michael always represented by a lion. Gabriel is always represented by an ox. These animals also represent those angels. It says that, so it goes further, he says, the Khatam Sofer explains why these malachim specifically protect someone who engages in the Torah. He bases it on something from Pirkei de Rabbi Eliezer. It says, four groups of ministering angels attend and praise God. And always again, it says, these are the words. It's again and again quoted in all of the, the books. Michael, Gabriel, Raphael, Uriel. It says, when we go to sleep at night, a person is supposed to say, protect me that, that Michael should be on my right. Gabriel, you should be protected at night by these angels around you and God watching over you in the center. When a person wants to learn Torah 
and he's specifically learning Torah, he's not learning just written. He's always learning Torah Shabbat Peh. He's always learning the, the Torah that has explanation that's given from generation to generation. He says, so the person who's, who's learning Torah is always learning Torah on the level we're going to call Gemara, oral Torah. And why is the word called Gemara? Because he's escorted at all times that he's learning by these four angels. Says, goes, no, when, you, when you say learning, um, if, if let's say I'm sitting on the subway with you hmm. and we're discussing... That's it, God's with that, you. That's learning. Two people on the road, Hashem, one person on the road, and he's thinking about his Torah, the Shekhinah is with him, which means he's surrounded. He goes further, he says something very interesting. One of the reasons they tell a person to learn every morning before they begin to pray is because once he's learning, he becomes surrounded by these angels. And then his tefillot, his prayers, get carried up by those same angels. So the question though is, why did Hashem now, but now the problem is, how many angels are we talking about? Four. How many angels come to visit Abraham? Three. What's the story? We're missing one. So the obvious question is, we have Michael, Gabriel, Raphael. We're missing Uriel. Where's Uriel? So we go further and the Arizal brings, and the students of the Arizal bring in Siftei Kohen and Imre Noam, that who, where is Uriel? What happened to Uriel? So says a person has to know that Uriel is in fact replaced by Avraham. That the angel Uriel is spelled Aleph, Vav, Resh, Yud. I mean, Aleph, Vav, Resh, Uri, Yud, Aleph, Lamed. That angel Uriel is replaced by Abraham. So the four now are the three angels and Abraham. He says, what are you talking about? How does Abraham replace Uriel? He says, you should know that Abraham's name, Avraham, is 248 in Gematria. And the name Uriel is 248 in Gematria. Goes further, he says, who is Uriel? He says, Uriel is the same as Raziel. Sometimes you say when they put in the baby, they put this thing, Raziel, this, this angel, that there's all these things about Raziel. Raziel is the one who sees the Torah. Raziel is the one who sees the Torah. So Raziel is the one who's in front, or Uriel is in front. And again, the Gematria of Raziel is also 248. So 248, 248, 248. But we have to understand the 248. He goes, we have to understand. So what, what is it? So that, so that you have 248, 248. Is that enough? He says, to solve these issues, we have to point out a significant difference between Uriel and the other Malachim. While the other three Malachim, Michael, Gabriel, and Raphael, surround the Shekhinah on each side. Michael is on the right. Gabriel is on the left. Raphael is behind. Where is Uriel? In the front. He says, what do you mean he's in the front? How can he be in front of God? Does God need someone? Now you got it? When I saw this, it blew my mind. He says, what you're gonna say, when I tell you what he, what he just realized, it's just unbelievable. He says, the Malach Uriel walks in front of Hashem. He says, we saw in Pirkei de Rabbi Eliezer, the third camp, this, the one that goes in front of him is Uriel. We need to explain why the Malach Uriel specifically merits to go in front of Hashem. Additionally, is it proper protocol 
for a servant escorting God, so to say, to go in front of him. This goes further, and now quoting Tikkune Zohar. He brings that Abraham and Uriel possessed this numerical value that we just mentioned, 248. Here, however, we find an additional explanation regarding the connection between them. We learn in Tikkune Zohar, paragraph 70, 127b, he says, we learn that the Malach Uriel is the delegate of the Torah. That's what the Zohar says. Who's responsible for the Torah? This angel called Uriel. Not only that, Uriel also possesses the same numerical value like we just said of Raziel. And what does Raziel mean? Razekel, the secrets of God. So this angel Uriel, who's Raziel, is the secrets of God or the sodot of the Torah, the secrets of the Torah. Avraham is associated with this angel. How? I wonder that the zechut of Avraham is so big. We've been milking it for so, so long. So now, like, but what you got now, I'm going to get to what he got because it really is when I th- when I just read this, I, I, it blew me away. So, but you need to understand where I'm going to get to, and then you're going to see. We can now appreciate why of the four groups of malachim that surround the Shekhinah, the malach Uriel goes before Hashem because he represents the Torah. We have learned that he's in charge of the mysteries of the Torah. It's well known how much Hashem loves the Torah and those that study the Torah. Therefore, Hashem himself honors Uriel that he should go in front of him, so to speak, while the other angels are on the sides and behind. Now that we understand Uriel's position, we have to address the issue of how Abraham Avinu is a fill-in for Uriel. As we learn, due to the mitzvah of Milah, Abraham and his descendants, they merit to receive the Torah. Hence, Hashem arranges for him to substitute for Uriel the delegate of the Torah. Because who's going to possess the Torah going forward? The Jewish people. He says, this substitution conveyed the message that in this world, Abraham is the delegate of the Torah. For Abraham and his descendants merited to be in charge of the Torah and its secrets for the rest of time. This coincides nicely with the text in this week's parasha. Hashem appears to him mamre, while he's sitting at the tent in the heat of the day. Rashi comments the word that Abraham is Yoshev. Abraham is sitting. So he says, he, he brings, he says, what do you mean Abraham is sitting? He says, Vehu Yoshev. The word Yoshev is usually spelled Yud Vav Shin Bet. In this case, it's only spelled Yud Shin Bet. It's missing the Vav. When you're missing the Vav, there's something wrong. He says, why is it missing the Vav? He says, this suggests that Abraham wanted to stand. He says, God is with me. How can I sit and God is standing next to me? I need to stand up. And God says, no, you're going to sit. Because in the future, your descendants are going to be judges. And they're going to sit and judge the people. And I'm going to stand with your descendants while they judge the people. Go further. We see, so Hashem authorized Abraham and his offspring to judge and teach the entire body of laws, all based on the Torah Shabbat Peh. Due to this role, God stands while the judges sit. And we see that a number of times. He says, in this light, we could begin to understand Abraham's statement. He says, 
And if 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 I, it please you, Hashem, so he says he says that this statement, the Zohar says that the statement that we mentioned, who is he talking to? The angels or to God? He says, by Yomad, Abraham says, Adonai, God, if I have found favor in your eyes, I'll not Do not leave your servant. Do not leave your servant. Meaning God is standing while he's sitting. And he's saying, please don't leave me. Don't leave me. We see later on something even crazier. It says that, it says that, he says, uh, wait, sorry. Uh, when, when he's arguing with God, it says that, that's Says that oh he says that 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 God that that Abraham was waiting and God came to him he says that there's a mistake in the writing Rashi brings what do you mean the mistake it's really God was waiting for Abraham but the Torah didn't want to write that God is waiting for Abraham so it said that Abraham is waiting for God but God, but, but but Abraham is at such a level that God is standing and God is waiting. The reality is it's showing that, that there's a partnership between Abraham and God on a complete level. The way I explained this morning was, imagine you're in a store and there's two guys of partners in the store and a client comes in and one guy tells his partner, wait here, I'll go take care of the customers. And that's Abraham telling God, I'm gonna go take care of the customers because we work together. So this is showing more than everything that Abraham is a partner, but not only a partner, for whatever reason now, Abraham is in front. He's Uriel, in front of God. How do we understand that? So we go further, we see, according to Rashi, Abraham requested that God wait while he welcomed his guests. From where did Abraham learn that it was permitted to ask Hashem to wait? He says, let us propose an answer based on what we said. Abraham himself sees, who came to him? Three angels. Who are the three angels? Raphael, Michael, and Gabriel. Who's missing? And that realizes, Abraham realizes that I'm the one who has to stand in for Uriel. So if I have to stand in for Uriel, he says, upon seeing that Hashem only brought three malachim to visit him, instead of the four who attend to the Shekhinah, he realized he was chosen to fill the role. Of Uriel, but but uh, but was was Abraham cognizant of? I mean, at some point, he's cognizant that they're angels. At some at some point, he's cognizant that they're angels. He has a, so out of respect for Uriel's Torah, Hashem allows Uriel to go in front of him. So now Abraham requests permission to go before Hashem in order to welcome the guests while Hashem waits for him. This also enlightens us with regard to the timing of Hashem's visit. He came to visit Abraham after he had the mitzvah of Milah, and he brought with him the usual escort of Malachim, with one exception. Abraham was chosen to replace Uriel, seeing as he now merited to attain the wisdom of Torah Shabbat Peh because he had the Brit Milah. Hashem wanted to make a symbolic gesture. It says we call it Poel Dimyon. He means he really wanted to show him symbolically that he, this is who you are, Abraham. So including Abraham among the four malachim symbolized by the acronym Gemara, Michael, Gabriel, Raphael, and Uriel conveys the message that whenever a, a person sits down to study the Torah, 
the person is surrounded by these four angels. Go further. Hashem, we have to point something else out. We have to now understand that what happened right before Avraham got his Brit Milah, his name was Avram, and he changed his name to Avraham. So it went from 243 to 248. What's the significance of 248? There's the 248 parts of the body. So, it's two, so each of the mitzvot, the positive mitzvot, relate to 248, and they each allow you to raise up one part of the 248. So it says that Avraham now is going to be a father of a multitude of nations. Instead of Avram, he's going to be Avraham. So it says it's impossible to merit significant Torah achievement until he has his Brit Milah. Once he has the Brit Milah, he, he, until he has the Brit Milah, he can't substitute for Uriel, who functions as Raziel, who's the delegate of the Torah. But after performing the mitzvah, Hashem sees fit to add the letter He, which makes his name 248, which is the same as Uriel and the same of Raziel. Goes further, he says, in the merit of this Milah, he's worthy to substitute for Uriel the delegate of the Torah, in charge of the secrets of the Torah. In this manner, we can understand Hashem's directive to Abraham. And this is really the words that, to, that really blew me away. It says, what does Hashem tell? We, when we read about Noah, we say, Noah walked with God. With God. To his side. What's up to the side of God? What does it say about Abraham? Before. God says to Abraham, Hithalech lefanai, walk in front of me and be tamim and be perfect. Always I wonder, what do you mean walk in front of me? How does a person walk in front of God? Where's this whole idea? And he's when the I saw one, this from the, the Zohar, that Uriel is the angel who's going in front because he has the secrets of the Torah, and Abraham is a replacement. Hithalech lefanai for the first time in my whole life. I understood the words. That Abraham is the one who could go in front of God because he truly is everything that this angel is. Seen in this light, you could understand why God now tells the angels. Now, when Moses goes up to heaven now, what happens? Moses goes up to heaven. He's coming to take the Torah. He changes his face to Abraham. God says, because you ate in his house. No, it has nothing to do that you ate in your house. Abraham, in actuality, is on the level of Uriel, who's the one who holds the secrets of the Torah. So therefore, not only could Moses take the Torah... He deserves to take the Torah. And that explains everything for the children of Abraham. And that's why of everyone who's in history, the thing bothers you. How come Abraham is called the first forefather? You have so many others. You had Noah. Okay, so he messed up a little bit. You had Shem, his son. He's, he's Malkisedek. He's the priest. He's the one they go learn in his yeshiva. Shem has a grandson. His name is Ever. Shem and Ever open a school that even Jacob comes to learn in. What do you mean? Why are these people not the ones? We, we have all other people. Why are they not the ones? Why is Abraham the guy? Not only that, Abraham got elevated. This is the reason why we don't have an intermediary. Because, because he, he got elevated to the level of the intermediary or, or even beyond. So, so really, this is where the Zohar is saying that, you, that, that God is actually, where the Zohar doesn't want to take Rambam's, that you... You don't need, you could, any, Rambam basically says only Moses had the ability to talk to God on the, on the cell phone. Everyone else can only see God in a vision and a this and a that. What, 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 what the Zohar is saying in essence that no, maybe not. Maybe other people could have this. Maybe if you could have the feeling that God is with you. Maybe you could have the feeling you're sitting there learning and all of a sudden you have this 
wow, something happened. Or you walk into somewhere and you see a guy's face light up because they're touched by the Shekhinah. And why could you be touched? Because Abraham could be touched. And why could you be touched? Because you're his child. You have that DNA. Whatever he had, you're affected. But the, the, the concept that, that blew me away really was this. That, you know, we say there's a difference between a man and an angel. An angel is Omed. He's in his place. He could never go. The worst thing a person could ever tell you is, I love you how you are, and I want you to never change. That's the worst thing anyone could tell you. I want you to never change. Because we have to grow. Every day we grow. We grow. The difference between an angel is an angel is Omed. means he stands. That's why we see an angel with one leg. The angel doesn't go. But a person is Holech. He walks. Life is an is a escalator coming down. And we're on the escalator. If we're not walking quickly, we're coming down. Man's ability is an ability to go forward. Man really is at a higher level than an angel. And what you're seeing here, whatever the level of the angel is, Abraham could achieve not just the level of the angel, but the level of the top angel. To be in the front, in front of every other angel, and even in front of God. And that's why God says to Abraham, walk in front of me. Because he's carrying the banner of the Torah. For me, it was like when I, when I saw this thing, it just blew me away. And I, I was just trying to put the whole thing together. But it was just wild. Sorry, you're going to ask. So, 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 so my, my rabbi would explain this way. So the, the two questions. Let's do the second one first, then we'll go with the first one. He would explain this way. That a person has to set aside time every day in the morning and the night to learn. That's a given. Once he's set aside that time, the first thing he does when he wakes up is he learns something. And the last thing he does before he goes to sleep is he learns something. Then he's setting himself up to be surrounded by his angels. Okay? Now... I learn something in the morning. Then I go to pray. Those angels are hanging out with me because they're going to carry those prayers up. My prayers don't just go on their own. They need help. When we pray in a, in a quorum, when we pray in a group together, what helps is that each of us is praying maybe for something different and all of our prayers go on the same train and go up. But my angels are with me and they're carrying it also. Now I go to work or I go to, I go to the gym. First thing, I go to the gym before I go to work. But I'm saying, but you're going to the gym next, right? If I'm going to the gym and I have in my mind that I'm going to the gym in order to keep myself healthy, because one of the directives of the Torah is you should watch your life. If that's my mindset when I'm going to the gym, that I've kept those angels because I'm continuing in the path. If I go to work and my mindset in work is to be able to earn the money in order to help take care of my family, etc., etc., then my mindset remains. As long as my focus is that everything I'm doing, I'm doing with this in mind, one of the crazy things about Judaism is it governs every moment of your day. 
from the time you wake up in the morning to the time you go to sleep, and even while a person's sleeping at night. It's governing every moment. I go to the bathroom, I come out of the bathroom. Everything I do, it's governed. So if I have this concept that, I'm, that, that these angels are, that start with me in the morning stay with me, then they stay with you. You have to be cognizant of it. And you could lose them, but you can get them back by saying, okay, let me go open a book and let me start to study, and then bring them back. You could get angry. You get angry, they're gone. You get depressed, they're gone. But you could bring them back. So you could have them with you the whole day, and you could have them always there to defend you and always there to protect you. But it's up to you. Now on the other, go to, just go to the other question. So the, the, the question with Abraham, why Abraham is, was one of the avot, is the first of the avot. There's a number of reasons why. One of the reasons is, is one, probably the main reason is this. The main reason is Adam sinned. And sorry, it's going to take me about five minutes. If you've got to go, I feel bad. But, but Adam, so, so Adam sinned, and Adam's sin was a lack of self-control. Okay? So the, the main sin that we say based on the Zohar that Adam did was Adam was created. He has a wife who's created with him. He and his wife jump the gun and they don't wait for the wedding. God creates Adam in the, on Friday and Eve on Friday. And they're supposed to wait for Friday night. If they had waited till Friday night, God would have married them. They could have been together and they could have eaten from every tree of the garden, including the tree of life and the tree of knowledge. They just had to get through that day and have self-control for one day, whatever that one day means. And then okay? we wouldn't have anything to study. Right. <laughs> so what happens is, is, Abraham, is, is Adam jumps the gun and he lacks this aspect of self-control. The nachash, the negative force in the world, is then released. Adam's lack of self-control allows the nachash to be released. And the tool of the nachash is the letters. So the tool, we have, we have for example, a ceremony on Hoshana Rabbah where we take some uh, willow branches and we beat them five times. What are we beating them for? So maybe the ground should give water. But one of the thoughts that we have is these are supposed to help protect us from the negative forces that are represented by the the, 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 the end letters in the Hebrew alphabet. The Hebrew alphabet has 22 letters and five sofit letters, meaning a letter that closes a sentence and is different. So for example, we have a chaf and a chaf sofit. So if it's at the end of the word, it's a chaf sofit. It's an ending chaf. We have a mem, a nun, a pei, and a tzadik. Those are the five letters. Those five letters close a word and they close. Because they close, they don't let the light continue. So they're in some ways a negative force. So the power of the dark side, the power of the nachash, is in the letters mansapach. Those are the letters. Mem, nun, sadik, pei, chaf. Mansapach. In order to overcome the dark side, you have to bring back the, the power in each of those letters from the dark side to the other side. Avraham is considered the first of the avot. Why? Because God tells him, Lech, go. Lecha. Go to the chafsofit. You need to bring back the chafsofit from the power of the dark side. 
he does that, his son does the mem, his grandson does the nun, his great-grandson Joseph does the pay, and the Messiah is supposed to do the tzaddik. What does that mean, and how does he do it? Yosef is, no, he's the pay. Yosef, the last letter of Yosef is the pay. So you have Abraham is the chaf, lech lecha. Yitzchak is the mem, Yaakov is the nun. Yosef is an extension of Yaakov. He looks like Yaakov, he's an extension of Yaakov, he's the pay. And the Mashiach is the sadi. That's the last one. Now, what, what's the, the whole idea? The whole idea is to overcome the nachash, is to have self-control. We read last week, you, you, Moshe, we've done it a few times. We read last week that Abraham goes down to Egypt. On his way to Egypt, he turns to his wife and he says, Now I know you are pretty. What do you mean, now I know you're pretty? I married you for 50 years. Now I know you're pretty. So he's worried maybe that the Egyptians are going to look at her in a lustful way. He's never looked at her in a lustful way. But Rashi says he's never looked at his wife until now. What does that mean, he's never looked at his wife? I don't know, but that's what he says. He says they were crossing the water. He saw her reflection. He says, wow, you are pretty. They're going to come after you. What happens? He tells her, you should lie. You should tell them that you're my sister, right? He says, why should you tell them you're my sister? For two reasons. He says, leman yitavi li in order that it should good, be good for me, and in order that I should live. I'm sorry. You're Abraham, who's this honest Abe, as honest Abe could get. You want your wife to lie, for what reason? So you should, get, you should live, right? Nobody says the first reason is, Leman yitav li, in order that it should be good for me. Leman yitav li. Rashi says that I should make money. What? You should lie so I should make money? Now let's remember. Last week there's a story about four kings and five kings. There's a, there's, there's, a, there's a group of kings that come and they conquer other kings and they take his nephew captive and Abraham goes to release his nephew and when he releases his nephew, the king of Sodom says, listen Abraham, you deserve all of the souls and you deserve all of the money. Do me a favor, keep the money, give me back the people. And Abraham says, I don't want a shoelace, I don't want a string, I don't want anything from you. I don't want dirty money, right? Now, Abraham goes down to Egypt, tells his wife to lie. His wife says, his, so they all, puts her in, right. They all think that, that Abraham's Sarah's brother. Now, Sarah, he, doesn't, he never imagined the king is going to come after Sarah. The king wants to take her. In order for the king to take her, what does he have to do? He has to make sure she comes from a very important family. So now he has to make sure Abraham and Lot are very important. How does he make them very important? He gives them lots and lots and lots of money. He gives them gold and silver and slaves and donkeys and camels and sheep and cattle. So much sheep and cattle that when they come back from Egypt to Israel, the land can't support all of the cattle. They have to split it up. Now, I don't understand something. How is it possible for Abraham, who's so honest and won't take money he deserves, to go into Egypt to accept all of this from the king, and then when the king finds out, because the king tries to go to bed with her, 
and he all of a sudden gets leprosy. What do you mean he gets leprosy? How does he get leprosy? What did the king do wrong? He thought she's not married. And he, he can't touch her, he doesn't touch her, and then he finds out that she is Abraham's wife. So he goes to Abraham, he says, what do you do to me? What does Abraham answer? Nothing. He tells him, get out. Now if you're Abraham and you're so honest, what do you do? You take your wife, you take your donkey that you came on, and you say adios, and you leave all the money behind. What does Abraham do? He takes everything. Everything. So much like we said, the land can't support it. How does he justify it? How does he justify it? And not only that, it was in his mind. Because he said, that we should make money and that I should live. What, is, what does that mean? But, but did he understand he was metaken? For sure. So what happened? Amazing. What happened? Okay. We have a story that happened in the Garden of Eden. There was Adam, slept with Eve too early, and the snake watched, and he said, I'm going to get her. And when the snake approached Chava, where was Adam? He was sleeping. Why? Because he fooled around with her before he should have, and after he finished, he went to sleep. Now the snake comes to get her, and the snake convinces her so that Adam should die to take the fruit, and Adam's going to eat the fruit, and Adam gets killed. And in some way the snake touched her and caused some damage, which comes out in Cain, the, the child. We have exactly the same story with Abraham. Abraham is married to the Torah, tells us a number of times, very strange, she's the prettiest woman in the whole world. Why do we have to know that she's the prettiest woman in the whole world? Her name was Iska, because everyone stared at her. She was Sarah because she was like royalty. What do we need to know that about Sarah for? Why do we need to know how pretty she was? It says, because Abraham's married to the prettiest woman in the world, but he doesn't treat her like she's a piece of something to lust after. He's married to her all these years. He says, now I know you're beautiful. Meaning, I'm married to you because you're a person, not because of what you look like. But we're going to Egypt where they're just going to look at you. What, what's on Pharaoh's crown? The snake. The snake. Oh, okay. Pharaoh, he embodies this nachash, the snake. What does he want? He wants Chava. Who's Chava? Who's Eve? Sarah. They're the same person. He tries to take her, but she refuses. Now, when Adam and Eve sin, Adam is punished with two punishments. What's the two punishments that Adam gets? The first one is... By the sweat of your brow, you'll eat. And the second one is that he's going to die. So when Abraham's going down to Egypt with Sarah, he says to her, we're going to face the snake again. I'm Adam, you're Eve. I realize that I treat you different than Adam treated Eve. It says he made this tent for her first. It wasn't a time where ladies first. But where Adam didn't appreciate his wife, he denigrated her. He didn't talk to her for 130 years, it says. Abraham put his wife on a pedestal to the point where God says, whatever she says, you listen to her. That's the difference between Adam and Chava and Abraham and Sarah. They get to Egypt, they're going to face the snake again. But if they could overcome the snake, then what happens? No more eat by the sweat of your brow and no more death. Meaning, 
in order it should be good for me and in order that I should live. The snake should have been the servant of Adam. Okay? The snake should have been, but Adam failed because he didn't have self-control. The first one in the world to have complete self-control is Abraham. You see the same story with Isaac, the same story with Jacob, the same story with Joseph, and no doubt with the Mashiach is going to be the same. A test of self-control in some way that's beyond human, human imagination. That he the, sacrifice his wife to, to the king. That this Abraham self-control that he with the with the way he behaves towards his wife. Isaac maybe self-control based either on the way when he's bound to the to the to the altar or when he's relating to his son Jacob and, and Asaph. Jacob, he has the self-control. It says the first time he has an omission is the first night he was with Leah when he thought he was with Rachel. Joseph with the wife of Potiphar, who, who thought that she was the one who should have been married to him, who's actually, again, a replay of the first wife of Adam and Adam and the whole story we get. So all of that, why are they the five or the four, so to say, to redeem the letters? Because they have self-control. My rabbi would say you have one test in this world. The one test in this world is very simple. Self-control. All of the laws of the Torah, all the teachings of the Torah are just to help a person build up their self-control. And that's what Abraham did different than anyone before him. Noah tried. But what happened when Noah came out of the ark? He tried to face the same test as Adam with the wine. Because if the fruit was the wine, and what happened to Noah when he drank from the wine? He fails, he gets uh, his kid, uh, whatever. It's terrible. But each, each person, so that he, he tried to overcome Adam, but he wasn't strong enough. Abraham's the first one, and therefore Abraham earns back the chaf from the dark side, and each one earns back a letter from the dark side. So 